0: the Spot Track podcast talking sports contracts the salary cap and business of sports welcome to the Spot Track podcast my
1: name is Mike Giannetti. happy december 14th or whenever you're listening to this episode it's a baseball basketball episode two guest episode cousin Dan joins off the top here to break down some of the bigger deals this offseason in major league baseball including the overnight deal for Carlos Correa to the San Francisco Giants something that Dan actually predicted quite a while ago here now so we'll discuss that and we'll kind of branch off into these massively long contracts in Major League Baseball. Why are, they co- why are they still here? Why are they actually increasing in length? Why are they increasing in, in how old a player is when they, uh, they finish the contract? Why isn't that getting better and more efficient and smarter? And uh, some still-to-come news in baseball with Carlos Rodon, the Cardinals, some of the players that could be traded over the next couple of weeks as the free agency offseason continues. The Marathon, that is Major League Baseball's free agency. Then Scott Allen joins. Sportico released their latest NBA franchise valuation numbers, and they are interesting. (laughs) Let's put it that way. A lot of money, a lot of movement, a new king at the top, and that king is now rivaling other kings in other areas of sports. So plenty to talk about there. We also dive a little bit into the wacky start to this season. A couple of teams we want to be better are not. A couple of teams we thought would be tanking are not. So uh, a bit of a roundup for the first quarter of the NBA season with Scott Allen at the back end of this show. All right, Dan, where do you want to start? It's been a, it's been a minute. We talked judge and then, you know, 10 things have happened since that uh, with the latest being the Correa deal in San Francisco, which is something you called three months ago, kind of this price point and everything. I mean, this was the deal I think you expected with that team. Does it make the giants better? I mean, do you love yeah, this I think- move? Yeah
0: yeah i i tend to think it's um a good step in the right in in the right direction they they wanted a cornerstone to build around um by all means he this is this is it i mean he may not be a forty home run hitter like hundred twenty r b i guy that like people think um that a franchise might want to build around but um he offers a lot of intangibles that i think mm-hmm. um you know regardless of the term on the contract um to get the a a v down um, I think it, it, this is a really good kind of landmark um, contract to build around on that franchise as they try and ramp things up.
1: Yeah. You want to talk about the length of it now, or you want to wait until the end and have a bigger discussion on that?
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think we could probably just cover it in the yeah. context of all of these contracts. Cause he's not necessarily alone in this, um, you know, gaming of the system. So. <clears throat> it's
1: what it is. Right. I mean, it's about, it's about the AAV, it's about the tax salary, which is now under 27 million, which at, you know it, is, it isn't even a problem this year, let alone in five years. And that's what bothers me so much. If, if teams are going to do this, if they're going to push things out 13 years, 12 years, 11 years, and I've got a whole article on spytra.com that gives you all 21, 10 plus year contracts in the history of Major League Baseball. There's 21 of them. If they're going to do this, then players simply aren't making enough money <laughs> because Carlos Correa is not a $27 million player, Dan. He's just not. Now, is he a $27 million player at age 38? I, I understand that's the pushback from the team, but I-, I know where you stand on this because you've been mentioning the Yankees and the Mets kind of going the opposite direction on this conversation. I-, I-, I just think the players are playing this wrong. I, I might be completely off base here, I might be not thinking about the you know the well-being of the players and how they can simply get one big payday and never think about it again. I just think Manny Machado and Xander Bogarts are the winners in all of this with their opt-outs. But you know, I, I guess I'm I'm a dinosaur in saying that. What are your thoughts with these ridiculous lengths we have? We now have of the four contracts, massive contracts. That's Judge. That's Turner. That's Correa, and that's Bogarts. Three of the four are through age 40 and judges through age 39. That is something that was being avoided up until the last 18 months or so. And now teams are going back to that well. In other words, they're willing to toss in a bullshit salary or two at the end of a deal just to lower the tax hit, even though 66% of these teams never even approach the tax threshold. So that's my rant. You've heard it before. Where are you with all this?
0: it's getting increasingly difficult to navigate quite honestly, because of all, I mean this, this off season really rocked us in a number of directions here. Like
1: mm-hmm.
0: for, like for instance, like just, just to paint it for listeners who might not understand it. These teams are adding on length to get the AAV down in order to lower the luxury tax charge that they get. So like the lower the AAV, the less, they count yearly against the luxury tax, which in essence means they can, they can get more, they can spend more mm-hmm. um, in the short term by, by extending that contract. So you have some teams intentionally extending the, the term on the contract in order to get that AAB down. You have a group, you have a, a large majority of the teams in the league who aren't even close to spending that amount.
1: Never will um,
0: be. And then, and then we see teams, you know, uh, the rare case of, the Mets, I mean, I, this is obviously a unicorn, but the Dodgers have done it in recent years. The Yankees have done it in recent years. The Padres have went over, even though minimally, the the, the actual price tag on going over the luxury tax is not that um, impactful or prohibitive to building your roster <clears throat> to the point, unless you're stacking it year after year where you're going over that threshold. Now, we, we're seeing teams extend intentionally to get under that then we're seeing the Mets intentionally not do that and say, we don't really care about the luxury tax threshold and we're just going to pay it all upfront. I'm, I'm really having a hard time understanding like who benefits from this, like, because obviously Mike, we, we've talked about how from a player perspective, if you want to remain in the best situation throughout the duration of your career, you, you want, we, we think that you would want flexibility as in, You get paid a huge amount up front with an opt out after three or four years with the ability to then go to a contender if you want. And in essence, like Manny Machado might do next year with an opt out is cash in yet again after already signing one major contract. So it's almost like separating between is it better for these players to cash in once and have less flexibility long term? Or, um, you know, do they bet on themselves, so to speak, and cash in, mul- try and cash in multiple times through their career? So we're, we're really I, I know I'm kind of pandering, you know, uh, about my points here, but mm-hmm. we're, we're really seeing multiple different strategies playing very different strategies playing out in real time where you have the Mets, um, you know, just light, lighting fire to the whole system. <laughs> you have the Phillies who, you know, and, and, and now the giants sort of, who are tacking on years to get that AAV down, you have a boatload of other teams who are just sort of trying to get attention from any free agent. And it doesn't really matter because they're not even going to approach the luxury tax floor. So it's, it's really hard for me to say, is this good? Is this bad for the players? Cause I think we're going to run into a bunch of unintended consequences here. Um, you, you know like things that we haven't even thought uh, on it uh repercussions that we haven't even like really thought through um, who do you think
1: is pushing more for the 13-year contract the player or the team in this in these types of
0: scenarios i have to assume the team but then the player has to feel some safety of just like like carlos correa has no opt-outs a no trade clause right so like if that gets to a point where that that contract is an anchor on that roster. They look to move him. They obviously have to go through him and he can then, um, you mm-hmm. know, determine if he wants to leave, if he wants to ride it out, if he wants to go to a contender. But the t- we've seen this play out where the team is basically held hostage. If they want to remove him, they have to give him to any team who is willing to take on the rest of that deal or, or and typically, so let's play it out 10 years from now, the giants say, we're not in a spot to keep paying this player. He has three years left. What do we do with him? If they, if they want to get rid of him, they basically are at Liberty of where Carlos Correa wants to go. Now,
1: is that enough for the player?
0: Um, I'm,
1: I'm I'm frustrated that of all these massive deals, there's one player opt out. That's frustrating to me. In other words, they're taking that full no trade clause as their win. That that's how they have power here. And and you're you're laying it out. But do they really have power? Because we really haven't seen a baseball player step forward and say, Get me the hell out of here. We might soon, but we haven't yet. Not successfully. I guess Mookie bets to some degree, but that was prior to the contract, right? But until that happens, what what what's the even purpose from the player's perspective of having that full no trade clause? Because basically what you're about to say is there's only going to be three teams that even, you know, even will take on Carlos Correa at three for 85 million remaining on his contract. So does it really matter what his full no trade clauses? He gets to pick one of three teams at that point. You know what I mean? E-
0: yes. I guess I, I'm just thinking it from the perspective of if he, if he wants to write out his career or he wants to go to contender, he then technically has the choice. And then the giant the giants can't just ship him out to, um no
1: you're right Tampa right Miami Yeah
0: yeah yeah right because, because they made the the best in theory offer. So I I think there is value on that point uh, you know on that front from a player perspective but yeah there's a ton of competing interests here and I mean we may never really know the you know the 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 main negotiating factors that that these agents and players are um mm-hmm. you know so, some might some might want the flexibility some might not like we saw I I you know, totally different scenario, but a Trevor Bauer like settled for a very short term contract because he valued the flexibility of always being on on a contender. Now, like we've seen, that just not work out. But I think you get the point I'm trying to make here. So, um, I, I the, the, short, the long answer uh, is I don't really know what is better for, for player or team. Um, the, the AAV factor is definitely a team influence thing. Um, I mean, maybe the players are okay with that in terms of like, in theory, that lets the team, you know, maybe grab another player. Like if you're saving 13 mil, <laughs> um, towards the, you know, in AAV, maybe that gets redirected, but we're not really seeing that play out in real time. Right. We're just seeing, we're not, it, um,
1: we're not. I can tell you right now the giants have about 30 million to work with. Are they going to spend that 30 million?
0: I actually do think so, Mike. Yeah. I do think we still see like maybe, maybe that gets spread out in bullpen help. Um, mm-hmm. but I mean, they've actually had a pretty strong off season, yeah. you know, despite, despite not landing judge, yeah. like that was sort of like a major thing, but this can't, this Korea contract, I think really like puts them into uh, a, a tier of one of the best off seasons that we've seen here. So, um, yeah, it's, it's very, it's, it's difficult to navigate. And, and like another factor here is, um, like everybody's reaction to almost every contract is, wow, I can't believe this player got that, that, that contract. I mean, At at some point, the market is the market and we have to just like, I'm famous for this, looking at everything and saying that's too long, that's too much money. But really, this is all just a product of players being underpaid for the first six years of, you know, the first six years of control. And then it's like, thank you. And then it's like owners have money eating a hole in their pocket and that they have to go overboard here. So
1: we'll win the uh, the first six years. You can win the last six years. That's how these deals work. That's how it is, right? We'll get some value out of you when you're actually playing baseball. And then when you're a a bench warmer spitting seeds into the, into the fence, you know, we'll be way overpaying you, but we'll, we'll have already won our world series, even though I have an article on (laughs) spotrick.com that says not so fast. Go ahead.
0: Well, no, no, I just, it's, it's all, it's all difficult. Uh, Like I keep saying, it's all very difficult. Um,
1: Well, let me, let me, let me put it back this way. Will there ever be a point in time over the next, and I have to look because it's so long. I don't even know how much is left. Hold on. Will there be a point in time over the next nine seasons where Philadelphia looks at Bryce Harper and says, man, that just wasn't worth it.
0: No, I don't. Never, I right? actually don't. Never. No, I don't think so. So that, that, I guess that's the other factor of these long-term deals is if you get that AAV down, it could quickly look like uh, an underpaid contract, but, right? Like the they've got the deal, World Series,
1: Dan, too, is what I'm saying. Right, like, right. The second Even you win still, that World Series inside this contract, and that's, that's what I did with the article this morning, by the way, is uh, who's actually winning inside of these contracts? Is it just one sided that the team always gets the best value or is the second that the player wins the world series? What happens? You know what I mean? Like do, do we, do we look at Bryce Harper as value? now? I think you're about to say he basically is value right at 27.5 a year.
0: Well, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we can extrapolate this to like the Lindor contract for, for two years now you've said I, you, you've <laughs> maintained, you're really skeptical. You ever see a shortstop contract beat that. And he just, yeah. I mean, the total is not like, that much but like he he surpassed it and like the next guy in line will probably surpass that so this is a long way of saying these like it's almost like the nfl when a quarterback signs a major contract and we go holy cow i can't believe that player signed that contract and two years later he looks like a tremendous value because the market has just exploded that much i don't i I mean i don't know is the market going to keep exploding year over year this much that like at what point does this con- like, do these contracts not look great, right? I I don't know what the the answer is. I'm sort of talking all right. through it in real time. It's power.
1: a it's a chicken and egg type scenario. You know what I mean? Let's talk about these shortstops stops specific, specifically.
0: Here. Actually, hang on. Let's stay on this real quick yeah. I, because I do I do keep hearing everybody and and let's let's just put it out there. The Steve Cohen Met stuff is really exciting. Really, really exciting. But. We're hearing all these people say, I want to see more owners doing this. I want to see more owners doing this. Well, really, the, under the current system, this can't happen or like it can't happen that way or else we're just going to keep saying all of these players are being overpaid. Right. So now, like Dansby Swanson is like what I, I guess what I'm trying to say is if every team was willing to just blow the doors off the luxury tax and not really care. and, and it, it's just going to become an arms race of outspending the next team. And all that means is that the fifth or sixth best player is going to get paid way more than they deserve to be sort of like we see play out in the NBA. So like there's a I, I, while I'm on board with like teams like the Mets or, you know, formerly the Dodgers, Yankees, etc. Sure. way spending over the, the luxury tax. It, it, all, all we're going to do is think increasingly think, players are over players who hit free agency are overpaid under the current system because players are not paid in the first 6 years uh, I, am i am i am now, i making sense
1: I, I spoke about this quite a bit in the last pod and uh let me put let me give you a, a real time example of what i want to see uh, number 1 i hope some some team does what the mets are doing like this every single year it doesn't have to be the mets i hope one team identifies themselves as the Gas pedal all the way to the floor year and let's just go. I, I, I think there's there's a there's a window for that every single offseason. some team is going to be in that exact precise window, and we shouldn't let tax thresholds slow us down at, at any point in time because you mentioned it. The the penalties are ridiculously small. And even when you think about what the Mets are doing, a seventy-eight million dollar penalty for what they're doing. It's still peanuts. It's still it's still nothing. That's two players. What I want, Dan, what I would like to see this league do is I would like to see the Pittsburgh Pirates have to pay Brian Reynolds 20 million a year right now. He's not worth 20 million a year, Dan. He's probably worth what, fifteen max. But I would like to see them have to say, all right, well, look, he's obviously a cornerstone piece that we can build around. He's not a superstar. And we want him here. And CBA rules say we have to spend X percentage over the next three years. This is a guy worth paying. Let's pay him. Versus we're not going to win. We have no reason to spend money. Let's not pay him a dime more than we absolutely contractually have to based on what team control tells us. That's what I hate. I want there to be a point in time where every team has to look around and say, okay, we're not just going to gut this thing every three years, every four years, which is what the, the lower market teams are doing. Every four years, it's a start over from scratch. I want them to have to say, you're worth being paid, we're going we're gonna to pay you, and we're going to use you as our percentage point salary floor payment, whatever it is. That's what I want,
0: Dan. I don't, I don't disagree with it. I think it's a great point. I, I don't know how they get there though. As we've talked about a million times, the, the negotiations of like how we fix the system are so are so intertwined that I, I don't even know how, so that's why we talk through this a lot that like the process of like, what, what does any of this actually mean for the player, for the team, for building in the future? Um. But yeah, I think you did a good job of of laying my point out there is like, We can't have every team doing this every single year. But if there was one team or two teams, you know, because like if three or four teams were doing this is Michael Conforto, then just getting twenty five million dollars because a team has an out a left handed bat outfield need. And he's the only guy available on the market. I mean, that's probably where we would get to. But then these like pre ar players who are just absolutely smashing their value, making a mill or two, you know, through their arbitration years are are looking at that saying, why am I ever going to sign? any any extension before free agency when you know four or five billion dollars is getting spent every offseason from here on out i mean i don't i don't know the best way for teams to navigate this going forward but i certainly don't think the answer is to have every team just exceeding the luxury tax (laughs) or going crazy like this or else we're just going to see the gap between the top one percent and the rest of mlb players further divide so
1: you mentioned the lindora contract and uh if I reference things a little bit in comparison to these shortstop contracts that have hit, Lindor's deal only runs through age 37. It was a 10-year deal. He was 27 when they extended him after the trade. He's going to make $9 million less than Carlos Correa and be three years younger when it's all said and done. There's a legitimate chance he gets two one-year deals after he finishes this massive extension, as long as he can still swing the bat and be a DH for somebody. So. You have to start looking at these contracts with that kind of scope, right? It's, Correa's done. Correa's done with contracts for the rest of his life. Trey Turner's done for the rest of his life. Xander Bogarts is done for the absolute rest of his, rest of his life. Carlos Correa versus Trey Turner. They're basically the exact same age. Um, they're going to be age 40 when it's done. Both of them. Trey Turner's going to make $50 million less than Carlos Correa, Dan. Is that correct?
0: I mean, from what perspective? No, I know. I know exactly. I mean, from
1: I mean, if you're Trey Turner's agent, are you freaking miserable right now? And oh, by the way, Correa Correa made thirty five million last year, so he's he's going to make eighty five million less,
0: essentially. So, so so even, I mean, I'm not even answering your question here. But like, let's say he played out. A, let's let's say he picked up that option and went into next year. Right. You know, because he had an option in every year, so he could, in theory, made another thirty five mil net this year and went back to the market next year yeah. and then scored this thirteen for hundred or uh, three fifty. So, like we're saying, thirteen for three fifty. He, in theory, starting last year, it was fourteen for almost four hundred. If you right. want to look at it that way, right? So, I mean, that is. <laughs> Like, I guess that is a, another, you know, notch in the belt for your point of these options, right? Like sign the option in the short term and hopefully, like, I mean, I guess or, if you got or injured better, or something major, happens. or
1: even better, how about just sign one year contracts?
0: Well, I mean, this is what we've talked about, but like,
1: I mean, if you're in your prime, why are you signing anything with a five or a six or a 10 or a 12? You know what I mean? I don't, don't give the team the benefit of having the value max out that's what Craig did that's what Bauer did, tried try to do that, that that's bet on yourself a little bit here you know what i mean i i get the well, risk i get the injury risk i get the hit in the hand with a hundred mile an hour fastball and you're never the same hitter i get it i i promise you i get it but at some point in time you got to game the system back a little bit it's been gaming players for a hundred plus years
0: well, right. And like, um, like I, I know Michael Harris signed his extension this year, his pre, you know, yeah. his rookie season pre arb extension this year before he was really solidified, but he, he then goes on to, to win rookie of the year. Right. right. We saw, we saw what happened with Cody Bellinger. So let's hypothetically say Michael Harris falls off a cliff from here on out. He's a genius. Based on what he, based on what he, well, no, I, I don't even know that Mike, because based on what he did in his first year and like, let's, let's even say his second year he has a really uh, so two full years to start his career mm-hmm. and then he falls off a cliff the next years he has pr- probably done enough in his first two years to gain i mean i mean Cody Bellinger has already made like fifth, what almost 40 million dollars in his career just through arbitration so um i, I mean yeah the Cody Bellinger thing fell flat on his face but all i'm trying to say is the ceiling the current ceiling of Michael Harris's earning potential throughout the next five right. years is way out, way out, way exceeds what he earned on that pre-arb deal. But as we've talked about, from a, from a labor standpoint, I'm never going to crucify That's a player right. for taking the guaranteed millions of dollars. That's right. right. But yeah, the, at some point,
1: the problem for me, Dan, is that that deal allows itself to get past age 30 with the club options. He's going to be 32 when he hits the, the open market next. That's a problem for me. If he had made this, let's buy out my control plus two years of free agency, I, that's where these things have to land. He got hosed exactly. for about three extra seasons here, in my opinion, because the, 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 the counterpoint then could have been he makes $55 million through age 28. He's 29 years old. They've bought out two years of free agency and pretty good value in arbitration if he's you know this kind of player. And then he gets to be Brandon Nimmo who just went 162 at age 29, and he's not a power player. He's a five-tool player, you know? So that, that now exists. Brandon, Brandon Nimmo now exists for those kind of players. That contract lives and breathes. You're, you're correct, and you're not correct, in my opinion. I'm all for guys saying, let's punt on the team control crap. I'd rather have a nice round number, a signing bonus, all that good stuff. But you, can't, you cannot get into age 30 anymore, because look at what it did to Aaron Judge. It, it really screwed with the negotiation process, the fact that he's going to be 30 years old. And, and and clearly the Yankees didn't want to go to 40. They didn't get there. They stopped at 39, which I, I applaud them for. But there's a real, a real problem with the wild, wild west of these pre-arb extensions, in my opinion. They, they need to have some conformity. They need to look and smell right. Agents need to figure out that you cannot have a guy get it into his thirties under team control. And that's what this is. This is expensive team control for Michael Harris.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And you did a better job of rounding that off. Um,
1: I, I'd love to be able focus, to say this guy yeah. gets seventy seventy million for control years and then gets to go 190, you know, based on Nimmo's contract. He's never going to get that in his life. now. this is never going to happen because of the way he structured this. Um, Right.
0: And that, and and to your point, the third, the 30 thing is the, is the main factor here. Like comparatively Michael Harris signed an eight year, $72 million contract. Cody Bellinger, any guesses as to his, I just did the math, his three years of arbitration, what he earned in those three years.
1: Oh, let's see. Ended up being, well, he didn't get, are you including this year as an arbitration year?
0: Um, no, his first three years. He was a super two guy,
1: right? So he, he got punted out of this last year. So let's say 36,
0: 61. What? He earned eleven and a half and his first year, 16.1, his second year and 17 last year. That's not so 61.
1: His- Do the math again.
0: <laughs> oh yeah. I, I did it wrong. Sorry. <laughs> We're going to delete that. Point.
1: Absolutely not. I think I'm closer to right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, 44 and a half. That's
1: still high, Dan. That's that's a lot of money.
0: Sorry, I forgot a decimal. That's a um, lot of money. Yeah, but so so that's my point is Cody Bellinger in theory has done nothing for his last three seasons. Right. Uh plus and, and based solely on what he did in his first and third year of arbitration, he earned like half of what um of what Michael Harris did. And and yeah much- going forward, he I mean like he signed another pretty good one-year deal as like a comeback thing and let's say he has a good year this year it's like going forward he could in theory sign like would you be totally shocked if Cody Bellinger had a bounce back year and signed four for a hundred next year eh, maybe uh, that's a little rich but I'd be shocked
1: I think the swing has always been too long and he and he's not an actual superstar player I got two questions and I'll get you out of here this age 40 stuff that I've been harping on it's gimmicky I get it and there's data, obviously, that shows the, the, the drop-off for certain players, certain positions, hitters, hitters versus pitchers, yada, yada, is around 32. It's just how it is in baseball. Is that changing, though, Dan? Like, specifically with shortstops, with the universal DH now in play, you know, obviously, the, the game is evolving a little bit here. Do we actually think that some of these 10-plus-year contracts can get to the finish line respectably or is it still an absolute joke for two to three years
0: well I don't think there's a good all-encompassing answer I do think the like the rules the shift rules and stuff have opened up a little bit so like typically your shortstop is your best defender on the field. He can then move over to second base. Um, the second base defense is going to be very, um,
1: yeah, important.
0: very influential going forward. Yeah. So, I mean, I know we're trying to extrapolate, uh, you know, 13 years from now to say, well, you know, who knows what the rules will be then, but um, at least there's some flexibility with like a middle infield type guy. Um, in terms of that, he but, can go to third. Like,
1: he probably will go to third. He might even start at third, right?
0: Yeah, the Met, it sounds like the Mets uh, entertained that, whether that was r- true or not. Why but, not? Plenty um,
1: of money in the banana. Yeah. Side. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I don't know. I don't know the right answer to that, but um,
1: it's just going to be a case by case scenario. You, you, not There's nothing to shortstops are the better athletes, so people feel more comfortable giving them the 10 plus years. I can tell you right now, of those 21 10 plus year contracts, I have it here somewhere. 11 are shortstops or were shortstops, right? I'm going back to like the A-Rods, even though he shifted over to third. Machado was a shortstop when he signed that contract, right? 11 of the 21 are shortstops. So obviously there's something to the versatility of that position,
0: right? Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, for sure.
1: How about the fact that none of them are pitchers? We have never had a 10-year contract for a pitcher ever in the history of baseball. Any I thoughts? mean we
0: shouldn't either. No, I we shouldn't. I mean we've been their shelf lifts just
1: fall off too quickly, that's why.
0: Yeah, they're like goalies in uh goalies in hockey where like they can put together a spike year in order to get paid and then you know it, it's so high variance like year to year in terms of health. Um what just about- like so many little things can go wrong in a pitcher's uh, health. So you wouldn't even do
1: it for a pre arb guy? <laughs>
0: I mean, if the price is right, sure. But uh, just know, I mean, that that is going to be where the intre- the yeah. conversation goes at some point, because we are seeing specifically with pitchers and shortstops, the just the price is astronomical. So every team, if you think you have a cornerstone shortstop in your life at all, you should be offering him a pre arb extension right, right now, in my opinion. Right. Um, the pitcher thing is a little bit more high variance for me. I, I'm not totally sold on that unless the price is right. But um, from a labor perspective, I would, I want the pitchers to earn. I, I want these guys to earn their money. Um, just looking at it from the other side. I, I don't know if um from like an quote investment standpoint. I don't know if it's the smartest idea. So
1: want to play trivia? It's been two pitchers. Not terrible. But go- <laughs> There's been two pitchers that signed a contract with more than seven years on it. You should get the first one.
0: Uh, Garrett Cole. Okay,
1: he's he's the only nine years pitcher in the history of the game. Um, I will give you a hint on the second one. He's not active. Uh, this was a contract signed in two thousand one. He had a cup of coffee with a heck of a lot of teams. One of them being the Mets.
0: Hmm. Um, I guess it was going to be Felix Hernandez, but no, um, no, no, no.
1: Mike, I Hampton.
0: don't, uh, Mike. Hampton. Oh yeah. Right. With the Rockies though. Right. When <laughs> yeah, he signed it.
1: Exactly. They they thought it could be the one pitcher who could uh, keep the ball in the park at Coors field. That was not the case. Felix Hernandez had a seven-year contract. We had a lot of seven-year contracts and I think we're about to get another one. Thoughts on Carlos Rodon as the next, as the best available free agent here. We'll get you out of here.
0: Well, I mean, there, I'm, I I'm not totally sold. On I know guy, he, two I, years I really ago he was like, a nobody. He was literally a non-tender, which is maybe one of the worst decision uh, <laughs> front office decisions, like miscalculations of a player's value in uh recent memory. He was non-tendered by the white Sox, um, signed <clears throat> by the uh, giants and sort of resurrected here. So, um, yeah, I, I have major concerns like going forward. I think in the short term, he, I like him and wouldn't mind going high AAB, but if he's looking for like a six year plus deal, I I don't know that, that scares me quite a bit.
1: It sounds quite like he wants seven. It sounds like he wants seven. The Yankees probably won't go seven. Um, because of the Garrett Cole situation, they're probably looking a little bit more short term, maybe higher AAV, which is going to put them into that third tax tier. That's fine. Do you think the Giants end up with him? Do you think they bring him back now that they've landed Correa and they have a real need to round this roster out? Um
0: hmm. <laughs> I he's a candidate. I, I think my favorite in the house is probably the Cardinals at this point. Yeah. I I think they're just like waiting in the wings to make a major move they didn't do the Sean Murphy thing and said they signed Wilson Contreras um i saw they deferred some adam Wainwright money mm-hmm. and like they openly talked about um like the 30 million they're that M- that they're getting from like the mlb sale of like their tracking uh, data like they, what i'm trying to say is the cardinals have like advertised that they're going to spend more and they're still like i think it's like 20 they're quite a bit under the luxury tax sure. um even approaching it so I, I think there's a major move to be made. they really haven't done anything from a pitching perspective they lost you know Jose Quintana who was there you know a trade deadline acquisition but um that team is like ready to go in my opinion and they still need another pitcher now is it a big splash like Rodon? I don't know but I think it'd be a really good fit there yeah. I I'm skeptical of the fit in Yankee stadium. I mean, not that I I shouldn't just paint a broad stroke that any lefty is going to struggle there, but um, we've seen them bring in a number of left-handed pitchers in the past that we all thought were really good prior to their stint in New York. And then um, when they exited, we thought they were like literally uh, no value pitchers. So um, I have some concerns if they're going to bring him in on a long-term deal like that. Um, I'd be a little bit like more at ease if it's like a short-term high AB, but I, I assume if, that's the deal he settles on, then there will be multiple suitors in on that, like the Dodgers as well. So, um, Dodgers yeah, are definitely. I, I think in, the Cardinals yeah. are my favorite. Uh,
1: okay. I, I'm going to piggyback. I also think the Cardinals are going to be a cr- crazy kind of come out of nowhere team because they have not been rumored there. They have about $55 million to burn right now, tax wise. And their biggest needs, I think you would agree, are shortstop and starting pitching <laughs> that they could easily. Drop a one, two punch here on Dan's B. Swanson and Carlos Rodon right now. Could they not?
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I if think they're not, in on, if they I, don't get Swanson. I also believe Swanson, that they I, should do that.
1: I think that's exactly the right push. They are in that window, in my opinion, that the, the division around them, the brewers are certainly kind of stepping back a little bit. And even considering trading some of their aces, the Cubs are, on the prowl, but I don't think either of us love them as a, you know, playoff contender this year they're not there yet. So why aren't the Cardinals kind of reading the room here a little bit more and, and really diving into this thing?
0: Well, you're definitely right on that. I think one of those two major moves gets done. Um, if they, if they don't make a major move to the rotation, I could see um, them sort of just trying to get into the year, kicking the tires, seeing how good Wainwright is. If Jack Flaherty comes back how Um, and maybe sort of assessing during the year and then attacking the trade market because they do have a very, very strong system. Um, Mm -hmm. we saw them unwilling to part with some of the higher end players in the Sean Murphy deal. Maybe those, like, maybe they have intentions for those guys in a separate bigger, uh, deal, or maybe they're just simply untouchable. But I, like you, like you laid out that team is set up very well to win now. Um, if they could just make a couple. Small, well, I shouldn't say small because <laughs> those would be major acquisitions, but um, take it with that roster.
1: Yeah, I would think. I mean, this, the Swanson deal looks like it's about to go 200 million, maybe even a little bit more because of the demand. Um, we, we're talking about Rodon at around 200 on seven years, you know, around that $30 million mark. So it's, uh, it, it's going to be a huge splash if it happens. I, I guess the last question is. Do they even make these kind of splashes, you know? I mean, they don't really sign these kind of contracts, Dan. They acquire players that have these kind of contracts halfway through. But, perfect, you, know, you know, this Contreras deal, it's one of the biggest contracts they've ever given out. You know, it's Goldschmidt. It's Wainwright's, middle, you know, 30-year-old extension. And then it's Contreras. That's it. That, that, that's how big this signing was for a catcher right? <laughs> with the Cardinals. It was a huge deal. So I, I, I think there's some evidence and everything you said is really good that they've been moving some money around to prepare for something. I, I, I hope they get it done. That's a team that could use a, a shot in the arm and, and a little bit more depth here heading into the season. Okay. Anything else we left off the table here? Any of the trades worth talking about? um, not really, right? I mean, you wanted Sean Murphy on your Cleveland team, it didn't happen. The return was kind of garbagey in your opinion. Oh, that, that that was
0: that, that's a that was really eye-opening <laughs> from like a market perspective in terms of like <laughs> I, I I don't know. Like the rumored the rumored ask from Oakland from both from both St. Louis and Cleveland was very very lofty. <laughs> so, for them to settle on that deal that they got, it's like I don't know what was going on there. If like those offers were just like pie in the sky, or if they just have a totally different assessment of like the talent they acquired. But I mean, by all accounts, they got fleeced here. I mean, we've seen, you know, we've seen this evaluation before, uh, and then it not turn out to be that way. So maybe five years from now, Oakland will be the ones with getting the last laugh. But I mean, at face value, it is. It does not look great, but yeah, the Sean Murphy move, holy cow, that that the Braves are yeah. just especially if they can get out from that Travis Darno contract, I would expect to see um them offer Sean Murphy uh uh you know an arbitration extension here to get into a couple years of his um free agent. <laughs>
1: well that's uh so yeah, that's not exactly a hot take, then, because eighty five percent of that roster is locked up at age twenty five. So
0: yeah, that's yeah, exactly. <laughs> just so the might as well yeah. But I mean, we've been searching for like the next guy they sign and we, we haven't been able to come up with it. And that, that <laughs> they, is had to, like, they had to
1: acquire I mean, him to do it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, but it, it might be smart. I mean, he's he he's not getting paid a lot right now. So if uh, no, you you're one jump, in arbitration, the mark, incredible
1: control, yeah. incredible timing. It's uh, just a really good team getting better, even though the Mets have spent million dollars. We'll see how it all unfolds. Yeah, so that, go
0: ahead yeah so just to piggyback on that then I mean we've talked a lot about the Toronto Blue Jays uh catchers as like yeah. the the next horizon on the market I am sort of increasingly skeptical um that they're gonna move one of those guys at this point unless uh you know if the market is that then I don't I don't I don't know if they're gonna be yeah in do any you rush think there's a better chance guys, that
1: so. darno goes and maybe James McCann from the Mets go in in lieu of that if the prospects aren't going to be moving around too much
0: Yeah, that's that's probably a better assessment. Yeah, I I just I I guess like Sean Murphy was not some throwing catcher, as you know. So like if Gabriel Moreno is going to be the guy to move or if like Alejandro Kirk is really on the market, like those are premier names. Like I doubt the Blue Jays would would get rid of them for a package even like similar to what Oakland got rid of Murphy for. So, um, yeah, I think uh, some of the alternate alternative names would would come into play at that point.
1: Good stuff. We'll talk to you soon, man. So, all
0: right. Thanks, Mike. See you.
1: Okay, so God, it's been a minute since we talked basketball. Honestly, basketball has deserved that. It's been, you know, it's not, most people don't start until Christmas. Um, and that's probably a good thing because if anybody's kind of looking at the standings for the first times right now, uh, I, I mean, you tell me, what are the three things right now in the NBA that people who haven't yet started watching should know because it's been kind of a weird start, right?
2: Uh, Yeah. Very weird start. I mean, it, you can just a point to the Western conference in itself. And if you were looking at the NBA standings for the first time and you saw the Pelicans and the Grizzlies and the Nuggets as one, two, and three, you're probably scratching your head wondering what year we're in because you probably wouldn't have expected it. Um, you know, it's simple, I guess to us, the Eastern Conference is more chalk for the most part at the top. You know, we probably have expected you know the Celtics and Bucks to be at the top. Cavaliers might have shocked some people. Um, you know, Mitchell has really helped that team quite a bit. Brooklyn has really made a a turn for the better here in the last couple of yeah. weeks. You know, they were below 500 and now they're quite a bit above 500. Um, yeah, but you've got
1: to go back to that Western Conference. And Scott, you've got the, the Trailblazers at five, the Kings at seven, the Jags at eight, eight, and you've got the yep. Mavs and Warriors nine and ten right now. That's going to change. Right. Obviously, that's why we're proceeding this conversation with it's still early and most people don't even care yet. But, you know, you, you myself, you, Keith Smith, we're, we're all starting to dive into this trade season stuff. And. The way I read this right now is 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 this is going to mean less movement, not more. Whenever I see this in baseball, and I see bad teams hanging around, not not so much you know dominating, and that's not what's happening here, but hanging around, it it dilutes the amount of players that become available at the trade deadline. More teams just kind of say, let's just ride this out, right? Like the Utah, Utah Jazz at the beginning of the season probably had two or three of the best trade assets in the league and now they're in the eight seed. and Danny Ainge has to sit there and and look around and say, all right, do I buy one player and try to become a six seed? Do I sell and forfeit this season, even though we're holding our own or do we just kind of ride this out, try to sneak in and then try to beat, you know, Memphis in round one or whatever it's going to be. You're going to have a lot of that. And it's really hard for front offices to, you know, look at their fan bases and say, sorry, we're, we're good, but we're not good enough to keep spending this kind of money. We're going to sell two parts off. That's a really hard thing to do in a league that, as we're about to talk about, has a $7 billion team, right? I mean, it's really hard to do that. So, so I read this situation as, A, it's interesting. B, it's going to make the trade deadline less interesting. Your thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, I can see why you would think that um you know the expanded playoffs play in they don't really constitute the play in as part of the playoffs but having that those extra set of games mm-hmm. allows teams to you know sort of maybe think that they can slow play their process a bit of yeah we're going to get into the play in and have a chance we've acquired some assets but we're going to shoot for even higher the next year you know, Utah being in the eighth seed, you know, everyone thought they were just going to be tanking for Victor. And that's not the case because there are teams way worse in the league right now than them. So they really do have to assess which direction do we want to go? Are we going to be buyers because we actually have a team that is playing well? Or are we going to be sellers and may not, maybe not get all the way to the bottom, but give ourselves a chance with a higher lottery pick. So teams like that are, mm-hmm. are going to have to assess, you know, Sacramento Kings, they've been pushing as much as they can. They're doing well. You know, they may be a team that buys to get one extra player on that team to help them get into the playoffs finally and and go deep. Um, but this is the NBA. It's, it's a long season. We've seen a lot of injuries to some key players um, you know, look at the Clippers. They're in the 6th seed. They're only 3 games behind first place and right. Paul George and Kawhi Leonard have missed a handful of games, injury management, resting. You know, they've barely played any games together. Once they really kick it into gear, we may see them kick up the standings. So it, it Yeah. It, but it's, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting in the next month to see how things really ramp up getting closer to the trade deadline, I think we'll have some decent moves, but I don't think uh, there's going to be the blockbuster that we've had in years past.
1: I don't don't think so. Unless Golden State starts to figure things out right now. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. If, if, if they're the 10 seed January 15th, they're exactly where they are right now, or at least hanging around that point. I have to imagine that somebody on that roster is going to move and it may not be one of the young kids. You know, it may be a significant name. That's the only one I'm reading. Right. Even if Westbrook goes, and I don't think he's going to go at this point, I think it's going to be the Beverly's of the world that go off that Lakers roster. You can't even consider that a blockbuster because that's something that's been, you know, rumored to be happening for 18 months now. So I I just, I look around the league and we had a lot of, extension-worthy roster moves over the past six, six months or so. And generally, that doesn't lead to trade action. It's just, it's cyclical. We know how this works, but I think the standings have a lot to do with it as well. All right, let's talk about these valuations from Sportico. It's kind of an annual tradition now. Um, everybody made money. Let's start there. There's not a single team that went down. That doesn't surprise you, correct? No, not at all. Okay. Do you think that'll ever happen? Will, will there be a market that is so susceptible from a financial standpoint that if they are not a winning team, they could end up losing valuation points on a year-to-year basis? Or is the league just too damn healthy with, with revenue sharing and whatnot?
2: Too healthy. I don't think we'll see a, a drop at all.
1: Will we see the Pelicans get out of the basement next this time next year? Based on how their season's going, and maybe their next five years could be going.
2: <laughs> yeah, it, it, I, I, I should mention Memphis
1: is second last, and <laughs> they're kind of in the same boat, right?
2: Yeah, they are. They're and they're both at the top of the standings, as I just said, exactly. right now in the Western Conference. So, you know, if they make a super deep run, I could definitely see them. Mm-hmm. But then that means the Minnesota Timberwolves or the Oklahoma City well, Thunder. I think Charlotte's got a real bottom. chance? I've Charlotte heard, heard, definitely.
1: Yeah, they, they're they going to be, I mean, they they increased. And they went up a spot this year. They jumped the Oklahoma City Thunder this year in terms of valuation. So Michael Jordan's doing something right out there. But they got a real chance over the next couple of seasons to nosedive down to the bottom. I just think it's, it's obviously trending upward for New Orleans and, well, and Memphis on the court.
2: Well, and you make a very good points with if New Orleans and Memphis do make deep runs or get to the NBA Finals, the Phoenix Suns, yes, they're going to they're up for sale, but them having had last two years of really good deep. Yeah,
1: look at that. Yo, know,
2: they, they jumped 56% over what they've had. They're up to 3 billion dollars right now.
1: 5 spots in the rankings. 5 I mean, spots. That, that and, alone is hard to do, let alone it, the 56%,
2: yeah. And that 3 billion could jump to 4 or four, north of 4 depending on what they actually go for in a sale. So they may jump up into, you know, the upper echelon of the NBA, depending on where that sale goes, but making deep runs, you know, even Milwaukee Bucks, they Mm -hmm. jump two spots, they 23% increase. If you can make it deep into the finals or deep into the playoffs, that is the exposure to the entire nation. And so your brand is built. So if those bottom teams can really make deep runs, It's going to help their valuation quite a bit.
1: I'm somewhat confused with the Utah jazz jump. Do you understand that at all? Is that just financial backing that has come in? Um, They had obviously a front office change and a lot of player change there. It has nothing to do with the fact that they're winning some ball games right now, but that one just kind of stands out to me as, as questionable. They went up two spots. They passed the Denver nuggets, which, you know, if we're just thinking from a basketball standpoint, that's ridiculous. Is it just that area of the woods and and the people that own the own the team, the companies that own the team? I should probably say, they've just it brought in an influx of revenue from elsewhere because it's not you know butts and seats and private suites. Let's put it that way.
2: Well, they've—I mean—they've I mean, they've been in the playoffs for the last few years, That's and they've fair. made deep runs. So they had a solid team and were very consistent. So I'm not surprised by it. You know, yes, they moved off Gobert and they moved off Donovan Mitchell, but this is going off of the revenue from the previous year and you know ticket sales and whatever. I don't know what enhancements they may have made in mm-hmm. the stadium themselves or arena that itself. So, um, but they've done enough in the last few years that they've been able to grow their their brand enough from the winning and whatever else may have gone into this
1: yeah and look there have been investments built into a lot of these that's kind of the name of the game right now right we see the group that lebron james is involved with with the red sox kind of getting involved in everything pickleball soccer the Mm -hmm. whole thing that's become a real thing this s-pack world and uh i do believe that I think, I think the Utah situation is linked to the Warriors. So let's, so that may be some trickle down effect, right? I think if the sports partners that invested in the Warriors and the 76ers, uh, obviously did well in those regards, it's going to trickle down to the Kings and the Jazz. I think that's the that's the singular group there.
2: Yeah, that, that's a good point. Because right. if you sell piece, some shares at a certain valuation, then you're saying our brand or our team, our franchise is worth this valuation. So you're already giving yourself a baseline. So if you do sell those shares, then you're just helping your valuation increase if you're selling them at a really good rate.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're buying stock in a team. Right. And if you're if you're thinking about it like a parlay, you know, I'm going to parlay the Warriors with the Kings. That's there's pretty good value in that. You know, the the Kings are an up and coming team. They've made a couple of good drafts back to back. And obviously the Warriors are something you can generally rely on, although not currently speaking in the standings. Um, But let's talk about the Warriors, because um, it's really hard for the uber rich in these leagues to continue to pile it on on a year to year basis. From a financial standpoint, but that's uh, that's exactly what the Warriors did here with this this last championship. Talk about the numbers with Golden State and why they are cl- clearly number one now.
2: Oh yeah, they're seven point five six billion dollars according to Sportico, up twenty five percent from last year. They're the only team above seven billion dollars right now, and you know that's only going to continue to go up if they continue to make deep runs or you know championships or whatever it might be. You know, they they've pumped so much money into their their arena to make sure it was, you know, tech savvy and everything else. So they've done everything that they need to, including winning the championships to continue to escalate their valuation.
1: The article that coincides with these rankings, Scott, talks a little bit about what this Warriors franchise is doing. Um, Basically, the return on investment from that arena has been ridiculous and 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 it was impacted by covid too so they're kind of a year and a half two years behind where they wanted to be obviously but they are first in everything first in sponsorships first in premium seats and suites first in local tv ratings right they get the most eyeballs on them locally and i'm i'm guessing nationally that's got to be up there as well um and that's just they're at the top of everything that matters financially speaking and obviously their gates they're completely sold out every game and their investment groups are, are absolutely massive, right? They are, the, the way that Sportico references this, and I want to give Kurt Badenhausen uh, uh, his due here because he does great work with these. He did it at Forbes and now he's doing it for Sportico. He's basically, the, the way that the Warriors consider themselves, Scott, is Disney. They don't want to just be a basketball team. They want to be a basketball franchise that has all these other elements built into it. And that's why we're seeing so much of Steph Curry and all these other avenues, I would imagine, is, He's obviously the spokesperson for not just the NBA, but a lot of these other business models that the, that the Warriors franchise is trying to, trying to branch out into, which is interesting that the ownership is saying this out loud, that the investment groups are saying this out loud. You know, it's one thing for LeBron James or Kevin Durant to kind of go off on their own singularly, form their own corporations and do that kind of thing. That's something we've kind of become accustomed to, at least I have kind of following this kind of stuff. But to have the whole franchise say, Yeah, we're not just a basketball franchise. We're gonna we're gonna be so much more than that. We wanna be a multimedia company and we wanna be a sponsorship hub and yeah, yeah, you know, that's that's a little bit brand new, don't you think? I I, I mean it's t- to consider yourself as a multifaceted corporation and not just you know, a sports team. That's right. that's that's new, Scott. And by the way, it's a real testament to how healthy this league is because generally speaking, the margins are razor thin profit profit wise for a lot of these teams and a lot of these sports. How healthy are the Warriors that they're not even thinking about basketball money? They're thinking about money they can spend on other entities of their business, you know?
2: Yeah, that's a great point because you have, you know, I believe they, that ownership has, uh, what esports, and you see some of that yeah. with the Philadelphia 76ers I think their owners are into the esports and that kind of stuff. So you're right; they're not just focused on a singular franchise. Their franchise is part of their portfolio, and so it just it allows them to cross brand and promote within each other. Oh, you're coming to the Warriors? We have this other stuff too. Oh, you know. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's going to be interesting in the next five to 10 years to see where ownership groups go or the branding of, you know, having an octopus tentacles of all these different facets, you know, like you mentioned with LeBron and the uh, Fenway sports group and right. all the different pieces that they have. And then they're selling off to go buy something new. So it's it's definitely going to be interesting.
1: The average average, Franchise is worth three billion. The median of the of this list right now is about two point four billion. Those numbers are way way up. I think it's yeah, it's a sixteen percent increase on average from last season alone. That's a bonkers number. Okay, if your if your sport is growing on average sixteen percent, that's that's saying something about where this sport is. So all the all the attention we've been giving it over the past five years, and obviously the mainstreams as well. It, it's worth it. This is why. This is why everybody's trying to get involved with the sport. This is why the NBA has been taking the most risks, right? This implementation of, of a of an in season tournament that's coming that's going to change a lot. If it if it's successful, if it's popular, if it sells, if it brings more eyeballs and more revenue, more sponsorships, everybody else, everybody else is going to start doing this. You're going to start seeing this instead of All Star games, and and you know, again, this is the I think the league right now in America in terms of how to make a hell of a lot of money and become crazy popular from a player-centric standpoint. It's really fascinating stuff.
2: Yeah, the in-season tournament was, uh, you know, they tried it out in WNBA, and now, like I said, they're right. going to be trying it in, in the NBA. So you're right. They're not afraid to take chances. And on top of it, the media deal that could come, you know, they're they are just oozing money all over the place. And it's only going to make these franchise values go up. especially, you know, Phoenix Suns are up for sale and whoever else, you know, if there's going to be parts of, you know, ownership pieces up for sale, it's, there's money everywhere in the NBA right now.
1: And by the way, the way that the NBA has adopted and links into the WNBA is also unprecedented and should also be commended. Um, because the WNBA has, has been prospering now for 25-plus years. Those valuations are increasing. I think Sportico is currently working on those kind of valuations now, which is good. That's been a long time coming. But it's another point to be made, Scott, that w- women's sports is not lost in this sport either. All right? It, it's a big part of it. The college aspect is is growing, has been growing for a long time. And I think the WNBA is successful at this point. Would you agree with that?
2: I would agree with that, yes. Yeah.
1: I mean, obviously, the numbers are very, very different. but you know, you're starting from a a much lower point right now in women's sports, and I think the WNBA is profitable and successful in its own right, and that's in part because of the NBA's inclusion and financial backing, in part because that some a lot of people just flat out jump ship from the NBA to help facilitate and run the WNBA. I'm not giving you know the NBA all the credit here. There's a lot that the women themselves have done to promote that sport, but you know, they needed that crutch out of out of the gate. They got it. They've it's remained there. And at some point they're going to be able to break away and and be their own entity. And that's really commendable.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Another piece that the NBA has is, you know, the G league and that's continuing to grow. They've got their G league at night, which is, you know, we've got a handful of players that have come up through that system that are names in the NBA. And so, and then, you know, Going into the high school, if they're going to open up and the one and dones are gone and high school kids, you know, going back to that, you're you're going to allow, you know, a younger age group demographic to be more interested in probably some of those kids that are coming out of high school because they're that age. So, you know, a lot of different things are going to happen in the next five years that are really going to help uh, the NBA grow even more than it already is right now. You mentioned the Suns at $3 billion, um, which is
1: about the league average. It's exactly the league average, actually. There's been offers. There's been bids. How high do you think the sale ends up getting to if if there's four legitimate offers in at this point?
2: Yeah, as I alluded to before, I think it's probably going to go north of four. You do. Yeah, probably between. I'm going to say between four and four to five. I'm going to guess.
1: Okay, so is that just the going rate? Is that just where we are? If the baseline valuation on a team is is X, it's going to be X plus one billion or so. Is is the actual buying price?
2: Yeah, that's not a bad way of looking at it. I mean, you have you know of, of recent all these different franchises that have come up for sale, and you know like you alluded to before, entrepreneurs and business billionaires, they're not only looking at this as just a franchise team in the NBA, they're looking at the 10, 20 year long term investment of if I have this team, what are the different things I can do with them and branch off and make it a brand? So The Phoenix Suns are not just going to be the Phoenix Suns, you know, for whoever brings it in. They may do way more, but this is going to be a platform for them to jump off of with using the Phoenix Suns. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I get it. I mean, you understand that $4 billion is almost double what any NBA team has ever been sold for. The the, the the current record right now is the, is the Brooklyn Nets in 2018 at $2.35 billion. That's the That's the top of the mountain right now in NBA franchise sales. So look, Phoenix has everything going for them. They got a team that I think is sustainable, even without Chris Paul. They've got location. You know, they're, a, they're an airport destination from basically every city. They are a prospering. They've got a prospering couple of cities there. There's a lot going on in that neck of the woods. Let's put it that way. Uh, they've got weather on their side, et cetera. So I do think it's going to approach four billion. I'm not sure it's going to get over four billion. That's that's a hell of a leap. And you're what you're basically saying is this 16% increase. It's just not going to slow down. Nothing can, not even a pandemic, can slow down this league from a 10 pl- 10% plus increase on an annual basis. And therefore, I, I believe that I should be paying you know, X percentage points ahead of the game because the league's going to catch up with me in three years. Is that, I mean, that's how I read it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, when they're talking about, you know, Vegas and Seattle, maybe being expansion. I was going to ask about Vegas. So yeah, go ahead. Yeah. They're saying the two of them together could potentially be, you know, $7 billion between two of them. Yeah. You're talking that's three and a half you know, billion just right there. So do you want to wait and have to build an infrastructure or do you pay to just come in with what already exists? And if there are multiple people bidding on it, obviously you have a bidding war. So I won't be surprised if it gets to four.
1: Okay, so real quickly, because I want to ask you this final question. The Warriors at 7.5, the Knicks at 6.6, the Lakers at 6.4, the Bulls just over four, the Boston Celtics just under four. Yep. Brooklyn's at 38, they're already 1.5 billion more than the, buy, the buying price 4 years ago, so that's everything you need to know right there. The Clippers at 37, the Raptors at 33. 3. People do not understand how freaking rich the city of Toronto is, folks. The Houston Rockets at just at at 33 and the Mavericks at 326. That's your top 10 right there. Philadelphia being outside the top 10 surprised me, Scott. That's a big, big city, a big sports city. There's a lot going on corporation-wise. Um, that They've been 11th now for, I think, a few years. I just assumed with the success of the team, I imagine the ticket sales are excellent. They've had some playoff runs. I I assumed they were going to leap over the Dallas's or the Houston's of the world. That didn't happen.
2: Yeah, it, it hasn't happened. And, you know, the Toronto... You're right. There's a lot of money in Toronto. They won the championship, so that helps yeah. from a couple years ago. So that probably uh, – I'd have to go back and look at some of the uh, comparisons, but they that's helped them. Uh Houston dropping, you know, if, if, if they've yeah, had – For now. <laughs> for now, right. And, and what I'm going to say is – they've been in the lottery if they end up at the bottom and they get one of the top two guys again yeah. you know that franchise is just going to continue to grow because i mean they they were deep into the playoffs for so long that's you know again the exposure of the national landscape of you know you make it deep and you're on the news you're more on you know sports center the more eyeballs that you can see that helps people want to buy your 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 merchandise, go to the games, whatever it might be. So those deep playoffs, there's no, you know, no surprise that a lot of these teams are where they are. 76ers, you're right. Being at 11 is kind of shocking. Yeah. But, um, I, I don't have a good answer why they're still at 11.
1: Yeah. It kind of feels like the team itself. They're kind of stuck. <laughs> they're stuck. Um, Scott, if, LeBron James retires in two years, and his ownership group and a hell of a lot more people get involved and in buy the Las Vegas team. Where do they end up that first year? Where is their opening valuation on this list?
2: Well, probably whatever they they purchase for. Yeah, you, so if so they you purchase, tell me. You tell me. If, I mean, so, if they purchase so let's just say everybody
1: here goes up twelve percent over the next. Three seasons, and we get to 2026, and the Vegas team is now in the field. Where are they on this list? Are they top 10 out of the gate?
2: Oh, yeah, probably. Or very close to. I mean, if they sell, if they are, you know, three and a half to four, they're going to be close to that top four because all these, obviously, in two, three years are going to continue to go up too. But yeah, they're going to be up there because that's going to be the starting point. That's what you bought them for. So that's what they're worth.
1: Yeah, but is it sustainable? You know, it's also you remember this is like a stock. Is it sustainable at that price? Are they going to actually, you know, how much does winning actually fact factor into this? You know, the New Orleans Pelicans have a have a lot, hell of a lot of marketability right now, and they're maybe the best team in the West, give or take, and they're at the bottom of this list. So proximity certainly matters. Winning absolutely matters. That's why some of these teams like Milwaukee are in the middle of the pack, but you know. It, if they just become an average team in Vegas, but they're still in Vegas, are they just consistently, I guess, above the fold, above half forever because of the proximity of Las Vegas? I'm going to say yes. Yeah, I think that's right. Mm-hmm. I got one more point to make. The Warriors valuation is $7.56 billion. According to Sportico, the same company, the Dallas Cowboys were $7.64 million this year. Right. They're coming for him, Scott.
2: They are. This is going to be a and the real Yankees story. Are, Jerry Jones is going the Yankees to. Yankees close this. too,
1: right? Yeah, actually, I got to look that up. I forgot. So let's do that. All right. Are the Yankees higher or lower than the Warriors right now, Scott?
2: They're right. lower. They're just over seven billion right now.
1: Okay. There you go. Golden State at some point over the next eighteen months or so, in our opinion unless the Cowboys win the freaking Super Bowl, which is very much possible. Um, th- those, these are clearly your top two teams in American sports. This is it right here. Warriors and Cowboys. What a about-turn face for this Warriors franchise, who were absolutely dreadful during my youth years. I mean, just dreadful, Scott. Like You couldn't even find them on television let alone, you know, you know, those, not those all. are the trading cards you put in your bikes books. Let's put it that way. And that's how old I am, by the way. Um, so it's been an unbelievable run. The stuff, Curry, there's nothing like it. How one player singularly changed everything. I guess Jordan with the bulls could be in that conversation, but, um, and, and by the way, that's the, the benefits of that are still being reaped. The bulls are fourth on this list and not because they're making deep playoff runs. It's just an incredible story. So we'll see where we are next year. If, it's going to be huge news if Jerry Jones gets knocked off that tower. Huge, huge Yeah, news. I mean,
2: we may be talking about Golden State Warriors being over eight or at just about eight if they continue to grow. and Not get as a tendency, but and... yeah,
1: if they, if they figure this season out. Yeah. <laughs> no,
2: but you know what I mean. Yeah,
1: for sure. All right, good stuff. All right, have a good one. My thanks to Scott. My thanks to Cousin Dan. Brand new episode. Coming this weekend, brand new article on spottrek.com, couple of them actually. I valued some of the best available free agents in Major League Baseball, about 25 names there by position. Um, Carlos Correa obviously coming off of that list, maybe Dan Zubisantzman too as well. And then as I mentioned during the segment, I did a deep dive into these super long MLB contracts over Major League Baseball's history, nine year, 10 year plus. And uh, I pulled out some talking points really for each, right? How, how, just how big Mike Trout's deal is in comparison. The positional breakdown of how these long deals generally generally work, right? We've got one second baseman in the history of the game. Why the age should matter more, or maybe that's changing. And maybe more importantly, how this is all translated to winning. You know, have how many of these major contracts have ever been in a World Series, won a World Series? Did it happen while they were in the contract? Was it after the contract? Was it before the contract? I kind of uh, speak to that a little bit as well in this article. So a little bit to read on the, on the site. Planning to get to subscribe to the newsletter. That's coming out every Tuesday, every Friday. And we'll be back this weekend with another episode of the Spot Trade Podcast.